Welcome to series three of Life Sci AI, the podcast series hosted by Nick Mahoney, consultant at SciPro. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life Sci AI, the podcast series. And this one's a pretty special one because um, we're really, really um, honored to be having a very, very busy person, an influential person in the life science industry. Um, been asking for a number of months to try and try and get, get her on, but we're joined um, by the CEO and founder of Okra Technologies, uh, Dr. Lubna Bufara. And Lubna is a machine learning scientist turned entrepreneur. And she has won many awards and MIT Technology Review, um, Forbes Top 50 Women in Tech, and including the CEO of the year for the Cambridge Independent Science and Technology Awards. Lubna founded Okra in 2015, and Okra has created a state-of-the-art AI solution suite for um, companies in healthcare that compiles data from multiple sources with coverage across hundreds of therapeutic areas and thousands of clinical trials. Okra looks to combine advances in AI with hybrid explain explainability to deliver real-time insights. And they are making huge waves. And we're very, very happy to, to uh, be working with Okra as well. Um, so please welcome uh, Lubna to the podcast. Happy to have you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for this amazing intro. And uh, yeah, look forward to our conversation. Awesome. Um, so let's start, let's start sort of at Okra. Um, you know, why, why did you think it was a good idea? Why was there a need um, initially? And I was quite intrigued about as well, because we off the back of the last episode, we spoke about names. What does Okra actually mean as well? Why did you come up with that sort of name? Uh, thank you, Nick. So I'll start with the name. So okra comes from okra, the vegetable, uh, ladies' fingers. Uh, that's one meaning. But the other meaning, if you look to um, the a section of okra as a, a visual section, it contains clusters, and almost every cluster contains a number of data points. It has this visual element, and that is what we do with artificial intelligence. We cl cluster data into one category, um, and it just so it's very simple to remember. It's green. Uh, and it is all also related to uh, women in, in STEM and science. Awesome. And we'll, we'll go into a few of those topics then from the name um, during this conversation. So why, why Okra? Um, why did you form a company? Because not everyone does. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so my my journey with AI started uh, back in 2007 or even earlier when I um, actually in my studies, I I um, discovered this field of artificial intelligence that instead of programming the machines that you actually program them to self-learn as we do human beings and to uh, train them to recognize patterns and to uh, take decisions in similar way as us. Um, I further deep dived into this topic during my academic years by using uh, AI into the operating ta table, the surgical room. How can we use AI to predict uh, uh, anomalies, errors during surgery. And in that research, I discovered that the healthcare industry is, is so um, evidence-based industry. It's an industry that is based on the past. You need to learn from the mistakes of the past to be able to uh, make better decisions for the future. Uh, and that is amazing. But what the limitation that I, uh, I, I, I kind of exposed with is that it is 
uh, all focused on the average. So uh, when we develop a new drug, it, we mostly focus how uh, we validated uh, which patients, and then we try to fit it in this nice bell curve during clinical trials, where we look into average patients, patients that don't have other diseases, patients in the age that they're gonna respond to the treatment. Almost we pick during clinical trials, the perfect people. <laughs> <laughs> and that is actually very, very uh, uh, too perfect to be true in the real world. When you go to the real world, you have um, all the spectrums. You have patients that have multiple di diseases. There is a lot of correlation. And, um, and then you see that this is not working. And when I looked at it as a mathematician, uh, this is all coming from this beautiful theorem called the central limit theorem. If you pick your samples, uh, that they are not randomized and there is no bias, you can fit this nice bell curve and you can apply statistics uh, in a very simple way. Uh, but in real world, this is never, never the case. Our body is connected. We are biased. Uh, doctors are biased. We, we have it, it's inherent. So we need to use techniques that can deal with this. The messiness of the data, the bias, the correlation, and that is where AI comes in. It brings all these elements together. It learns as it goes. And what we call in statistics outliers, because they don't fit this nice distribution, in AI, it's okay to be an outlier. It's okay to be, uh, to have, to be a patient with this disease, having multiple spectrum of diseases. It's okay to be a woman in science. It's okay to, uh, to not fit the, the norm. And I'm bringing these techniques to healthcare. First, um, when I left academia, I first want to get my hands dirty on, uh, on the data. So I joined the fin uh, finance startup and I could just let go of applying these algorithms in real time for transactions. And then I was thinking, what is the best way to bring this into healthcare? And, and I looked to the healthcare ecosystem uh, and what I really liked about life sciences is the scale. If you look to each drug, how many patients take that drug? So if we can build an AI brain that can bring that particular drug to the right patients, regardless of their uh, characteristics, wherever they are in the world, we can have a huge impact and bring in that element of there is no one model fits all. This drug can save lives of multiple patients, how we bring it at speed. And um, that's when I discovered uh, I should be working with life sciences because they are the stakeholder that develops and manufactures those uh, innovative drugs. And it's um, uh, and helping them to bring this at scale will be uh, the most impact where AI can have in the ecosystem. So this is a, to, to make a long story short, it started from a very technical background, moving into how can we bring it to life uh, into a space that is uh, very, very um, highly regulated, but with huge impact and with huge skill. I see. So this, you, you've sort of seen the, the need in healthcare um, for this um, self-learning model um, to enable outliers to be integrated into the um, drug discovery pipeline around clinical trials so that these drugs can be more effective in the real world. Um, but why did you decide from an entrepreneur point of view to start a company rather than going and joining 
um, you know, a Pfizer or a Roche or, or someone like that and developing from inside per se? So in, in French, uh, we say no profit is born in their country. So if uh, <laughs> you bring innovation, sometimes it's much faster you bring it from the outside. Yeah. Um, I'm not also my career path uh, is not particular that will lead me to a Pfizer rush coming from a heavy engineering background uh, and applying it to uh, multiple sectors. Uh, I think bringing that scale of innovation comes from the outside. If I go join a Roche or a Pfizer or what, a big company, I will be diluted uh, because I will be the small person joining thousands of people. And then you will move to the workflow, checking emails, having meetings and programming that is not part of the job. Yeah. Programming happens at night. No, programming, that is what we need to do during the day, how to train these algorithms, which data to use. And um, so the entrepreneur in me uh, realized early on to bring such a scale of innovation, I uh, need to do it myself. And it's a crazy idea. I know to be an entrepreneur, you need to be a little bit crazy. You start, you try, it can work, it cannot work. But the, the amazing thing is um, it was the right time. Uh, when I started, there was, um, the, the, there was a need, especially on the commercial side, the data was kind of okay to start deploying AI. And with the pandemic and the need to re-transform uh, as, a, as a life science companies, um, that speed up the process of AI adoption uh, and also open up new uh, multiple use cases where we can use AI to drive treatments to patients at scale early, early from, from very early in the pipeline to kind of uh, where to put the beds, where which molecules to, to pick up, to which one to commer commercialize. And with our products, we developed with life science companies themselves, we, we developed a product uh, called ValueScope that can help predict uh, very early on the price of a drug and the potential of a drug. So, and this can help product leads and market access to early on uh, invest in, in good assets that could become potential blockbuster drugs. Yeah. And this is like achieving that skill and how we can bring further this this drug that we earlier recognized as potential blockbuster through the launch, we have another AI that can push that and through the commercialization. So really trying to, to apply these complex algorithms to very, very, uh, I would say, uh, traditional pharmaceutical processes and bring the companion of, on the job, like not only people, but you have your AI agents as well to drive this. It's, it's really phenomenal. And I think this is also where the industry is going in the next five to 10 years. Absolutely. And I think the, the, the two-pronged approach there where, you know, you have that early stage research where you can understand um, the pricing of, of drugs is super important. Um, and then in the, in the launch phase to make sure that they are successful um, and they are getting out there and making the impact that the, the clinical trial suggests they can make as well. Um, but you, you mentioned... Um, COVID there is, is quite a, uh, a a changer, I guess, in in both the life science industry. And I imagine it was it was a, a bit of a revolutionary part uh, time, sorry, to be at Okra. Um, so I know we weren't, we weren't sort of going to delve into this too much, but I'd be just keen to know just anecdotally, what was that like? And when did you first sort of have conversations that 
indicated there could be a change um, and that there is a, a faster adoption of AI in the industries and the people that you're talk you were talking to at the time. Yeah, no, it was a really interesting. Just before COVID, I was part of this uh, group. It's uh, the high-level experts group on AI. We were drafting the ethical guidelines uh, in Europe uh, and we were talking about the requirements and uh, explainability and suddenly uh, COVID hit. And then you saw the speed, uh, you saw suddenly, no, we need to apply this technology. Uh, and you could see it, first it started again in the commercial side because uh, reps and MSLs couldn't see doctors face-to-face. -face. They had to uh, deploy digital uh, to move to, how can we connect with our stakeholders if we can't meet them face-to-face? The other shift that happens is in the whole industry, how we moved clinical trials from 10 years to 10 months with the COVID. Yeah. So it's so impressive. And, and also the, the public perception of life sciences, suddenly everyone starts talking about clinical trials, <laughs> about the process. And, um, and because although pharma, pharma and life sciences are a bit behind the curve in technology yeah. adoption, they were suddenly in the front of saving the world in this pandemic. And everyone was looking at them. And it's really amazing to see that um, in this roller coaster of, of, of inflection and change, uh, a lot of industries are going through this change of the, what we call the fourth industrial revolution, where the physical world and the digital world, the, the lines are blurring. The organizations for the future will be composed of maybe hundreds of people, but thousands and millions of AI agents. And yeah. so this is the future we're moving to. Leaders uh, should not only orchestrate human resources in an organization, but also digital and artificial res resources. How can we make humans and machines work hand in hand? And I think we could see different clients in different adoption stages. Some companies that were already started with some initiatives, they realized this is the way to go. We need to go faster. Companies that were a bit behind, they want to see how the early adopters will move on. You could see that uh, they almost were in this denial phase. They were like, okay, uh, we've got to, to change. But you know, then they are more a kind of slower curve of change. And it's really um, so uh, kind of interesting to see the different actors uh, are moving in different streams. Yeah. Uh, and I will always give my team the example of the um, locomotive acts when the cars first were introduced in the 1800s, where they had uh, cars in London and US where if you want to buy a car, you need to have a, a man in front of the car with a flag. Uh, and you need, you, you, because there is horses as well, you shouldn't uh, drive more than four, four miles per hour. So imagine that took 30 years to get to get the man from uh, in front of the car. So it's, it's really, how can we uh, move with this technology uh, faster? So we realized early in the pandemic that um, every uh, we all we should segment the clients early on. Which ones are going to be early movers? Which which ones mm. will take time? And this helps us. And we are getting better at that. Sometimes we do start with the late stage. We 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 can predict that they are late adopters, but we start working with them. And you could see that's not really great. Maybe it's good to focus on driving um, the change with early adopters and and almost wait for people to fail through their digital transformation before we engage with them. So it's, it's really um, uh, interesting dynamic. 
Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, and I guess that they're saying you can you can lead a horse to to water, but you can't make it drink. Uh, comes to mind. It's true. <laughs> <Completely those>. true. <laughs> um, but I guess um, probably um, can have some really good anecdotes and off the record conversations about <laughs> times when it's not quite worked out, and you drag people kicking and streaming into the digital age um, when they come through. But Okra has a really unique proposition, right? And I think that's why you guys are so successful and um, why there's so many people that are interested in, in, in joining your company um, to be part of the journey as you guys scale through the next sort of 12 to 18 months. So just explain to everybody, what is the unique part of Okra? Why it, it's not a consultancy, why it's, isn't, why it's not a pharma company or a biotech? What is the unique part that you guys have? So, uh... So we um, truly believe that every company has a life of its own and have, uh, so what makes Novartis, Novartis and Rosh Rosh uh, is not only the people that work in these organizations today, but all the people that work in these organizations, all the successes and failures that were made in the past and building that memory, that brain for each of those companies, that this, this actor, which is a company has a brain of its own and helping uh, all the people uh, in these organizations to move better. So what makes Okra unique is to build these brains and tackle this uh, middle stream of innovation, bringing these new therapies to market and make them potential blockbusters, which is a field dominated by consultancy now, and bringing that automation, that self-learning brain that refreshes it each month or each week and bring this insight to uh, to uh, the users and be that one companion of the job. So we are a very strong engineering company and bringing this innovation uh, and be, be in the center of this fourth industrial revolution is what makes us uh, unique in this space in life sciences, which is highly, highly dominated by, uh, by consultancies. Uh, but even when when innovation is there and it's it's either rule based, it's it's very very human driven and bringing that self learning element is what makes us unique and people join us to to be part of this evolution, uh, to be part of this big change, uh, because this change in some industries is a bit easier. But uh, I give an example in manufacturing, you can apply AI to robotics and to yeah. manufacturing processes. And it's much easier than bringing it to healthcare because you don't have a human in the loop. In yeah. healthcare, in every sector from life sciences to HCPs, you need to bring AI that works and empowers humans. And being part of that evolution is very, very important and very transformative. It is slower than manufacturing, for example, <laughs> but it brings a lot of change. And I think we, uh, we are uh, at this very, very important point where the dynamics in the market is, is changing. So the, co the competitors in life sciences are no more, no longer other life sciences. Tech companies are becoming competition here and they can, they go to the, the patient directly to the uh, customer. So we need to really change pharma to make it much more um, reactive, much more uh, proactive, going at speed and reaching the patient uh, at speed, because if we don't, we will have a complete change of our ecosystem, which is, I don't think it's in the right way, especially with the data privacy and the data regulations, we want mm. to protect our healthcare systems and uh, 
keep, keep them cost of, uh, effective, but also we need to bring that speed element. It, it's no longer acceptable to wait 20 years for a drug that already exists to reach the patient. It's just not acceptable. Uh, well, once we achieve these 10 months uh, in uh, clinical trials, we should not go back to the old ways. Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating that the, the bar's kind of been set, right? Like, and that's what's, I think will kind of create enough traction for people in, you know, everyday walks of life. You don't know the ecosystem, you don't know, um, like before I did my job, I didn't really know, obviously, I don't know how drug discovery works, right? <laughs> like, I just thought, well, you, you found a drug, you 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 put the drug out into market. Um, and then before getting into the industry, you never realize that it takes so long once you've created the compound to get out there and, and be, be put out there. So I think if you were to go down and have focus groups now in the street, I think most people would think because we got the COVID vaccine out so quickly, that's what it's like all the time now um for it so you are partnering with people right the pharmaceutical industry um to to be part of this change so i know we're still sort of well i, I guess we're not sort of too much in the infancy of, of okra now um you guys been going for seven seven or eight years um what would you say sort of the the, the proudest things you've done so far um in regards to okra and the the impact you've started to, to make on the industry yeah, I think my um, first um, element of proud is the team that we created at Okra, uh, creating uh, such an amazing team of engineers tackling this very complex space uh, within pharma and mm. uh, highly regulated, getting to very, very uh, automating very complex spaces such as, for example, pricing in life sciences, um, defining the TPP automatically, this target profile of drugs from the data, getting to very complex um, domains and bringing automation there with AI. I think that is really a huge achievement. So in the span uh, of, I mean, we raised our seed money in 2018 and in the span of these four years, we're working already with six of the top pharmaceutical companies. We are bringing this innovation uh, that is um, uh, transforming the way we work and transforming uh, the way uh, drugs are brought to market uh, with uh, such team and, and building this, this way of work because it's not just yeah. uh, products we build. This It requires very uh, engineering way of work to deliver such a automation on, 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 on a such important uh, space. So um, I think that is my uh, that, that, that is my proudest achievement. And with this achievement, we achieved huge things. For example, yeah. we can predict the price in, the price of drugs years ahead of launch. Just imagine how much this will change. The biggest challenge for pharmaceutical companies is uh, that they have accurate bets. They bet on 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 uh, drugs that they can make uh, a potential with with this product. They can years ahead of launch identify and make those bets uh, deliver. So it's no longer acceptable to um, you know to have a, a, a kind of ways of work without an outcome driven. Uh, yeah. process in the organization because with AI we can predict uh, sometimes uh, with the, with different levels of accuracies but still better than not doing anything yeah so, and that is uh, yeah I think tr going through these transformations with the, with our clients and being part of it 
Uh, it's not an easy space. And I think with deliberately a choice, all of us wants to work in a space that is impactful yeah. um, and bringing this impact to, uh, to the world. It's uh, working in this, you know, complex environment. And I think also from your job, Nick, you could you could be working in, in different, doing different <laughs> types of interviews, much easier with less jargon. Yeah, it is a deliberate choice. It comes yeah. with a big tax on it, changing yeah. behavior, the man in front of the car, uh, really <laughs> trying to, to bring this innovation to life. But yeah. the reward is enormous. If we yeah. can bring those innovative treatments to patients and save lives, and change and protect our healthcare systems from being taken by, you know, um, tech company elsewhere, and our data will be all over the world. I think that will be uh, yeah. a really great achievement. No, I think I think the the the, the team you're, you've you've created um, is is absolutely fantastic, and the impact you're starting to make in, like I said, in a very legacy driven um, industry. Anyway, um, I always describe it like an oil tanker um trying to trying to uh trying to change and sometimes we do get stuck in a sewers canal <laughs> yeah. as, as an oil tanker and i definitely had uh, less gray hairs before i joined the life science industry so <laughs> that's why we um, need to move to green energy then we don't have oil tankers anymore <laughs> oil oil should be from the past and that's what we try to do in pharma let's move to the new green which is with uh you know uh more AI-driven technologies. Absolutely, D data-driven is is definitely the way forward, and AI-driven and, and self-learning is absolutely the way forward. Um, but as yourself, like growing a company is always hard, and it's, it's, as we just said, it's harder in life sciences. And we've had a number of, of CEOs on on this uh, podcast series so far. Um, but what's it like to be a CEO? And then a follow-up question is, what's it like to be a woman leader? in the life science industry? Yeah, um, I think it was never um, a deliberate choice to, to go for a series. It's about bringing a business into life, bringing a, a product into life that is a game changer. And comes what comes with it is the other uh, elements of a CEO job, which some of it is exciting, some of it is, is part of the job. And once you take it as part of the job, then you accept it. <laughs> so it is, um, uh, it's really amazing, as I said, to lead such amazing team and to, uh, to bring that vision and how can we move there, create that mechanism that, you know, what is, what is important for us as a business is the user, uh, user centricity, driving the change. And there are a lot of elements to that. So it's a, this is the, the North Star, but how to get there is always the devil is in the details. So keeping that uh, conversation open and it's, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's not easy in such complicated space uh, because every one of us, uh, when you are very, um, when you're an expert in what you do, you are in a kind of tunnel vision. So bringing people from that tunnel vision to what really matters. Mm. Let's not forget about the bigger goal here. Uh, and I think that is the one of, uh, I would say, one of the uh, uh, important tasks for, for CEOs to bring that element. Uh, and I, I really, uh, as much as I enjoy it, but it's a learning uh, curve. It's uh, uh, learning every day and being humble to to move from down up, down up to, to get that right. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the, the second question uh, you mentioned as, as a, 
female leader in STEM and in life sciences. I always, since since I uh, started my study, I, I was always a minority. So, and I never saw myself different than any male colleague. Um, mm-hmm. I just felt like we are all equal. We are trying to solve a problem. And engineering, I think uh, it is quite, you're very problem focused, very problem driven. But you, of course, it's not easy when you're a minority, you question yourself sometimes. Uh, but I think uh, it's also a privilege to be uh, driving a business as a female leader uh, around, the, you know, in this uh, revolution of, of tech. Um, mm. And um, it has also its advantages connecting with other female leaders and a lot of um, leaders driving, male leaders driving innovation. So it's, it's really our goal is drive innovation. And we're very happy to be um, I think I could say gender equal now as a business. Also, our engineering team is equal, uh, which is, uh, yeah, almost, almost. So 50-50. That's so, always a hard thing. And I yeah. remember having a chat with Eva Van, Van Rixort, uh, who's the CEO of Tarina uh, in Nijmegen. And we had the same, well, similar kind of conversation, you know, you, you don't see yourself as, as, as any different, um, but... It seems that scaling a company as a female leader tends to bring 50-50 a lot better um, because, uh, well, it's more likely to get get 50-50. And I was chatting um, with Carolina Aguila, who's the CEO of of InBrain in Barcelona, um, about the same thing. They have almost um, female-dominated business now on the engineering side um, of of, of things. And it, it creates an environment that's so much more conducive um, to innovation, to collaboration, to, to problem solving, um, you know, a shameless plug for the England women's football team. Now, uh, the men couldn't do it, but the women could. Yeah, <laughs> so, with a great you know, leader, you see an example of a leader. Ex- yeah, exactly. And as you know, my, my mum brought me up and she was, a, she was a chartered accountant. Um, and so that's a male dominated, um, was chartered. I can't remember. I'll, I'll say she was chartered. <laughs> been a male dominated environment she was always a bit of a trailblazer as well um so i think yeah for you the challenge is sometimes when you doubt yourself right um because you are you are a minority in the room most of the time um but thankfully that's starting to change and there seems to be a real good network in europe around other female leaders uh in in stem but looking at what's coming next for you in terms of you know, female in STEM, how, how do you reckon we can, because in the UK, it's a big problem. It's a big challenge, female in, in STEM at university, um, even in A-levels. Um, I know you guys, you have an operation in Leiden and in Cambridge. So what do you think steps could be done? What, sorry, what steps could be done to improve or to highlight STEM subjects to, to, to young budding female engineers? Yeah, I think we need to make uh, STEM subject sexy for girls because at the moment they look from the outset as boring as not made for girls and uh, since very young age we give the nice beautiful doll for a girl and the uh, <laughs> car and the uh, engineering Legos for boys which actually from very early on we are driving that bias into uh, yeah. our children and this should change 
uh, for parents early on, education systems, okay, if you make that choice, at least make the curriculas to be interesting and to be uh, to have flowers and to have uh, um, colors and to, to make it interesting for girls. It starts very early on and later in age drive, like with my manager. So when I see gender balance in one of the teams, I say, well, couldn't you find uh, an, a girl uh, in this role? And then they, they, the next time they are more attentive and they take it into account that, yeah, we should actually think about our gender yeah. equality. So leaders should also be very aware of that and make their team aware because our biases, we've been programmed for hundreds of years to uh, in this way, and we need to rewire it. We need to make a conscious choice. This should change. These assumptions are not correct. So we need to change it. We need to bring uh, uh, to bring women to technology, it's make it more inclusive, the advantages, uh, technology becomes inclusive, technology becomes unbiased, we have uh, both genders working on it, more ethnicities, more diverse teams, mm. it will tackle a lot of big problems we have today in our society. Yeah. So um, it is no more a, a kind of an aesthetic choice, it is a fundamental choice to, uh, to make profits. Yeah. Because it's related. Once you make good technology unbiased in this new age of the fourth industrial revolution, you're going to make more profits because of yeah. that. So it is important to do that. Absolutely. And I can can tell you in my household, it was it was definitely equal because I cannot do anything engineering. And my sister is in computer science. So <laughs> I'm really bad at DIY. I'm really bad at engineering. Everything that the, the archetypal male should be able to do, I can't. So <laughs> it's also unfavorable for, for men. It's like almost you put the both genders in very different in, in yeah. where they don't belong. You should let them uh, to choose it themselves during uh, the process yeah. of learning. Absolutely. And, and hopefully that should, I mean, you, you did a really great job and Anna, Anna does amazing um, with your, with your talents at Okra in, in, in bringing amazing people on board. Um, and what does the, like, well, just sort of looking at the future then for the last sort of a couple of, a couple of minutes, what, what is Okra looking like across the next sort of six, 12, 18 months? What does the future hold um, for you guys as a business? So the, as, I, uh, as I also tell the team and uh, the next phase for us is really um, uh, about crossing the chasm as a, as a startup to move into scale up. I think that is one. And what comes with that is we've been playing our music. We've been playing our music without mm -hmm. cheats because we've been doing things differently. It is innovation to this new space. Now is the time to create the sheets. So putting all the notes for the music there, writing it down, because we need, as we scale, we need to have a, a more a kind of structured way. And that is the, the so bringing more uh, people from, as I call the city. So people that are yeah. uh, into the business, which is um, uh, to, to uh, as you, we transition from this uh, innovation to now, um, how do you call it? Establish it and make yeah. it, lifestyle a way of work rather than all of us where um this innovation engineers we do things this way but really establishing it uh in a way that it can bring change at scale um yeah. so that is the the next phase and the expansion with our existing customers uh working with new customers and bringing this innovation awesome now i think the the scaling phase is always when it gets really exciting 
um you know but always challenging right because you, you, yeah. <laughs> you, how do you how do you how do you keep the balance of innovation versus scalability and robustness that you need um to, to quickly scale for your processes so um a challenge way above my pay grade <laughs> and way, but to, to be tackled by people like you who are way smarter than I am um but um but I, I think I think it's been a great a great episode and there's been some really great tidbits of information there for people to take away um uh, around female leadership and around what we can do and promoting that I'm gonna have a sh shameless plug for the women in discovery roundtable that we have as well um at Cypro done by Molly Edwards and, and Jessica Woodgate so I'll put a link into that so if Lubna if you want to follow up and and see those guys as well for their roundtable they do some great work and some discussions around that so if any leaders or anybody um who's looking to become a leader in this space is listening to Lubna and thinking how can I be connected into this industry um that sort of network is is awesome and then also what you guys are doing at Ocra is so unique and the value proposition there is something that's not had been there before in that sort of intersection between AI and, and pharma and it being a product that goes across different, different areas. Um, so I think keep banging the drum for what you're doing because it's incredible. And it's been an honor to have, have you on. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for sharing our voice and for uh, helping us uh, reach more audience. And yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah. Looking forward to this roundtable. No worries. And if anyone wants to get into contact with you, how do they how do they do that? What's the what's the best way? LinkedIn or send an email? What's the best? Because yeah, so there's LinkedIn, probably people. I'm, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, and uh, you can uh, send us an email to hello at okra.ai. Uh, so we are always uh, great to connect with the wider community and to uh, share our our passion uh, with the rest. Awesome. Thank you very much, and thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the episode of LifeSite AI, the podcast series. If you would like to go back and listen to any of series three, please do so on the best playlist for you to uh, get that from. If you would like to listen to the rest of series one and series two, please visit cyproglobal.com. Thank you.